I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. As we begin this second week of Advent, I think on a lot of people's minds, whether you're reading Sister Miriam's Behold Advent Journal or not, I think a lot of people at this particular moment in culture and society and the life of the church are looking for leadership, are looking for guidance, are looking for answers to big, tough questions, are are looking for a steady hand and a, a guiding, a guiding voice. You know, I, I think that mostly because in my line of work, which is just talking quite a lot, I hear from people, sometimes they call into my radio show, sometimes they email in about this podcast, sometimes they're people I meet on the road, but I hear from people frequently that, well, I just wish the church would fill in the blank, right? Speak on, fill in the blank of the topic. I wish the church would be more specific on, you know, name the hot button issue of the day. I wish the church would provide some transparency with, you know, name the scandal that that might be ignored. And I, I think we feel that desire for some sort of guidance. We feel that desire for some sort of leadership, for clarity in not just teaching, but in in leading people closer and closer to the truth, because we long for protectors. We long for protection, but protection doesn't just come. It has to come from someone. It has to come from a protector, somebody who shepherds, somebody who guides, somebody who stands up for truth, somebody who answers the tough questions, somebody who steps out into the chaos and the murk of life and are able to, to pull together that which is, is most necessary to be able to, to chart a course, as it were. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stumbling over my words because of what I'm essentially trying to say without being isolating to any particular person is we're looking for fathers. You know, if, if the mother nurtures, the father protects. That is not to say that mothers are not protective or fathers are not nurturing. That's not to create a, a, a false dichotomy here. It's to simply say that if, if last week we were talking about Mary as this mother figure who, is, as Sister Miriam called her, as healer, who brings us close to her heart to introduce us to our son, standing beside Mary is Joseph with the shepherd's staff ready to back, you know, beat off the wolves and and ready to protect his holy family as they're hiding together in that stable, the only place where they could find shelter. If Mary helps us to understand why we need healing and then helps us enter into that healing, then Joseph stands beside Mary and beside us as father to help us understand the protection that we need, the guidance that we need, that we long for, the answers that we hope the church provides, the leadership that we need from our pastors and from those who work within ministry, within our parishes and dioceses, from from the people who have a very, very loud voice and huge platforms who offer lots of insights. We, We need that protection, not necessarily because there's something coming at us, although maybe sometimes it seems like there are, but because by nature of this healing journey, we need in some sense to be sheltered in the midst of that healing. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if Mary is leading us into this deeper healing and this deeper understanding of our goodness and our value and our dignity and and the wounds that we need to heal from, Joseph is there with us on this journey, protecting us as we seek this healing showing us what it means to pursue relationship 
and be unafraid to pursue that relationship with Jesus Christ. And this fatherhood, this protecting role, this shepherding role, right? So often when we we think of St. Joseph, I think we think of him as quiet. We don't have any recorded things that he necessarily said. We think of him sometimes as as old and grizzled. A lot of times St. Joseph is portrayed as as kind of an older man. And, and I think there's something to be said about the fact that Joseph would not have been in his 50s or 60s necessarily, that there was a, a youthfulness to him, that there was a spunk to him, but that ultimately within the heart of Joseph, there's a conviction. He's convicted to divorce Mary quietly, right? To, to remove and end the relationship quietly because he doesn't want to shame her. He's convicted of that. He's convicted when the angel shares with him that, no, no, she's telling the truth. And this is something you're called to as well. He's convicted in, in teaching Jesus a trade and in raising him up in the right way alongside his wife. That conviction, that protection, that shepherding, there's great value in all of that. And I wanted to sit down with somebody who, as as a priest, as a pastor, has that same conviction, has that same desire to protect and to shepherd and to guide and does so really well. I've known Father Josh Johnson for quite some time. We've gotten to know each other in ministry. We grew up not far from one another and, and, and run in similar social circles. He is a, a consummately good example of, of a good and holy priest. And I'm sure when he listens to this, he'll roll his eyes that I said that about him because he's also incredibly humble. But he has this vision and he has this understanding of what it means to be a dad as a priest, what it means to be a father as a priest, and to really shepherd and guide a community to protect a community, especially those who are seeking healing, which is hopefully you and I as we walk through this Advent journal that Sister Miriam has given us. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation today about Joseph, our protector, in the journey of our healing with my good friend, Father Josh Johnson. Father Josh, it's great to see you. Welcome back to Ave Explorers. As always, it's a gift to be with you, Katie. There's a part of me that wishes I just drove over to Baton Rouge to come hang out with you and brought you my You should. <laughs> how, how about we just stop recording right now? You get in your car yeah. and we hang out. That could work. I have to get back in time for my show. Uh, well, yes. You've got internet. You've got internet. How are you? Yeah, Where we, are we, you? We have Wi-Fi. What do you do? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am your friend. I, a, I'm a lover of Jesus I'm a beloved son of the Father. I'm a pastor of the best parish in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Sacred Heart of Jesus Catholic Church and School. We have the best school. We have nuns in our school. You and I were just talking about that. We have adoration every week and mass every week. So if you have anybody who's in Baton Rouge who's tuning in, y'all should come check out Sacred Heart of Jesus School. I'm also the director of vocations for our diocese. So I get to accompany young men who are interested in learning more about the priesthood and discerning if they're being called to go to seminary, formation, and I have a podcast, Ask Father Josh. I write books for Ascension, and I, I'm a sinner who wants to be a saint. You're a busy guy. Yes. Yeah, I am busy. Yeah, this, this, this is true. When you entered seminary, we're, we're not that far off in age-wise. Mm -hmm. so I remember you as a young seminarian and a young priest. You still are a young priest. I'm not saying you're old. Mm -hmm. Did you ever imagine right, this is where your priesthood would be? Like, this is what you'd be doing? No, no, never. I, I I don't remember what I thought priesthood was going to be like, but every season of my priesthood has been different and beautiful and better than I could have ever expected. Um, and it's it's just been a gift. It's been ex it's exhausting at times because you know, as you as a mother, you get exhausted at times as a wife and a mother and a minister. And so, but it is fulfilling beyond my wildest imagination. And uh, and so, yeah, I 
I'm living the dream. I'm living a dream right now. And the Lord has allowed me to be in circles and do things that I just, I would have never dreamed of doing before. And so it's just been a great gift. Is it ever weird for you to hear people call you father? I know that's kind of a strange out of left field question, but like you're Josh, you're somebody's son, your friend, your buddy. You know, last time we got breakfast together, you walked in and like your gym clothes. And so yeah. like that title father, is that ever really heavy to carry? No. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Tell me no, why. I don't, I just, it's just not. I mean, it's who I am now. I, I, yeah. I it's before what I do is, is, is who I am. I've been, I believe I've received the father's paternity, not only through my intimacy with the Lord in prayer, but through sacrament ordination. And I've only been a priest for eight and a half years, but I feel like I've been a priest forever. Like mm-hmm. I don't remember not being a priest at this point. And so it's just very natural. It's just, this is who I am. I'm, I'm father. I'm a father to, to many children from diverse backgrounds. I'm a father to every person in the geographical boundaries of my parish, whether they're Catholic or Protestant, because <laughs> canon law says that I'm responsible for everybody's salvation who lives within my parish boundaries. And that includes Catholics, Protestants, atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Hindus, and Jews. And I have young kids and old kids. I have guys and girls. I have sinners and saints, but it's just who I am at mm-hmm. this point. You know, I just, so no, it, it just, yeah, it just, it's a natural flow of, of my identity. I'm a beloved son of the father. I'm a spouse of the church and I'm a father to many, many children who I'm trying to accompany in their walk toward eternity. Mm-hmm. I think fatherhood is one of those things that we talk about it a lot in the church. We talk about it and in just, you know, society mm-hmm. as this very, okay, well, this is what father, the ideal, like this is what fatherhood should be. This is what father should look like. Do you remember those billboards like years ago where it was like a picture of a dad playing catch with his kid. It's like fatherhood, be present or something like that. It was like this, this whole, and I remember seeing those as a kid thinking, did people need to be reminded of that? Like, do they just not have Mm. good dads? Like they did not, they don't have good fathers who would do that in the first place. And then as I've gotten older and as you meet more people and you hear more stories and you see the world kind of play out, you realize, oh, oh yeah. Like that's Mm. not necessarily, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it's not the norm, but that's not always the, the standard. When you became a priest and you receive that ontological change. Like you are now different. You are now Father Josh. What did you notice kind of happening as you embraced that fatherhood that maybe you loved and maybe you were challenged by, or maybe you realized like, I can't do this on my own. I need much more Jesus than I maybe ever even realized. How did, how did your heart start to kind of grapple with that new identity? Yeah, these are great questions, and it's so early in the morning. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I totally sprung this on you, too. Like, I didn't tell uh, you I, this I, is what we were going to talk about. I will say this. I'll say this, that I'm more rooted in my identity as a son of the Father. Mm. And the fruit of my adoration of my Father in prayer, of looking at my dad, of looking at the Father, it helps me to, to imitate. Adoration leads to imitation. So the fruit of my prayer as a son, looking at my Father, gazing at my Father, helps me to imitate the Father I encounter in prayer. And so I encounter his mercy. So like a daily scripture that I, I, I read often is Luke chapter 15. Uh, it's the story of the prodigal son. We're all familiar with it. But I often am drawn to the father in that story mm. and the way that the father loved his sons, both of them. But the way he was so present to them, the way that he was attentive to them, the way he never took his eyes off of his son, even when his son strayed from him, even whenever his son was sinning, the father never took his eyes off. And then when the son came back, and the son was navel gazing. The son was saying, I needed like work for you. The father was like, I want to celebrate you. I just, you're my, you're my boy and I love you. I delight in you. I'm pleased with you. Uh, you're, you're home. That's all that matters to, to me. And as I gaze upon that image of the father, as I, as I gaze upon that, that right there shapes the way that I 
uh, share paternity with my my staff and my coworkers and my students and my neighbors. It's, mm-hmm. it's that image. And when I'm not rooted as a son with that kind of a father in prayer, I don't operate well. I don't operate with that kind of love and that kind of tenderness and that kind of mercy. But it's the but but when I'm rooted in in Him, when I'm rooted in Jesus who also is the image of God the Father. Jesus is the image of the Father. When I'm rooted and just spending time gazing at the face of Jesus, contemplating the face of Jesus, I'm able to imitate him in the confessional. I'm able to imitate him in worship. I'm able to imitate him in in ministry of presence. I'm able to imitate him in conflict with people. Mm -hmm. And so if someone comes to me with their cursing, their hot and their energy's off, if I'm rooted in that as a son with the with the image of the Father in Christ, oh my gosh, Katie, it's like it's so anointed in the way that those conversations are just transformed, and the way that that, that unity is established and mm-hmm. peace is restored, and, and healing happens. And when I get so busy that I'm too busy to, to look at my Father in prayer, when I'm too busy to to look at Jesus, who is the image of the Father, like those are the times when I do not operate well. Those are the times mm-hmm. where I am I am not able. I, I don't have. I, I, I'm too weak. I am too weak. I am too broken to do it. And so I need, I absolutely need to, to like, I, I live off of prayer. I live mm-hmm. off of adoration and, and the rosary, adoration, the Bible, adoration, the sacrament. Just like, yeah, I live off of that because that's what, it's that from that relationship with my father, I'm able to share his paternity with the world. I, I was praying one time and I just, I'm, I'm by no means a mystic at all, <laughs> but I had an, I would say like, and encounter prayer that potentially was mystical. I don't know, but I was in adoration. And I remember I, as I was praying, I had this image of Jesus's descent into hell. Whenever he descended after his passion and he saw like Adam and he saw Eve and he saw Moses and Abraham and everybody, right? Because remember heaven wasn't open until he, he, mm-hmm. he died. And so they were, they were waiting in Sheol. Like the, now they weren't like the hell hell. They were in the, the, the waiting part. And as he went down there to encounter all of them, at one point, he saw Joseph. And when he saw Joseph, I just saw Jesus run up to him and say, Dad. Mm. And he embraced him and he hugged him. And I was taken aback by this experience in prayer. And I said, Jesus, why did you say that? Like, why did you call him? Like, like he, your dad is Abba Father. He's got the Father. Like, why would you call Joseph Dad? That's, that's such an intimate term mm-hmm. comes to our, our parents. And I just perceived the Lord telling, I say perceived because I don't know if this was of him or not. I could have been making the whole thing up, right? You never know if your prayer is authentic or not. But I perceived him say to me, Josh, like Joseph, he received my father's paternity throughout his life. And he shared that with me throughout my life. Mm. And so he is my dad because everything that he shared with me came from God, my father through him. And I remember then turning to Joseph and saying, well, Joseph, will you please pray for me? Because I want to be that kind of father to my children, to mm-hmm. my spiritual children, if I ever get ordained. And then I open up my office of readings. And so as priests, we pray the, uh, the, the liturgy hours five times a day. Office of readings, morning prayer, daytime prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. And what I often do is I, I pray a little backwards. I'll start with the stories from the office of readings, which are the second readings. And then I go backwards and pray the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So I just open up to this story that day, which happened to be the Feast of St. John Bosco. And he writes in there in his story, if you want to be a good father, here's how you be a father. Mm. And he starts writing about how he was a father to all his orphans. And it was, he's like, be patient, be kind, be gentle with them, don't, whatever. But it was so, I was like, whoa, Joseph, I just asked you to intercede for me to be a good father to spiritual children. And then I opened up to John Bosco's reading, which I had no idea it was going to be his feast there, his readings. And he tells me word for word, line for line, what to do to be a good father, like how to be, how to walk with children in, in my, as a priest. So yeah, it was, it was a very powerful encounter. But at the end of the day, it all, for me, 
it all comes from abiding that relationship as a son first, for you as a daughter first, like in, in receiving that paternity from the mm -hmm. father, receiving the maternity from Mary as a mother. And then we can share that kind of love, which is out of this world. It's not, it's not the logic of man. It's the logic of Christ, which is just different than, mm -hmm. than what we often experience in, in the human expressions or manifestations of fatherhood or motherhood. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Father Josh Johnson. I wanted to tell you really quickly about our sponsor for today's episode. States of Faith is a brand new and growing brand for Catholics who love the rosary. Hopefully that's you. Are proud of where they live. Hopefully that's you. And like comfy clothes. Hopefully that's you. They feature high quality products with, and this is what's really unique, an image of your state outlined in the rosary. So I'm from Louisiana. We make a perfect rosary outline, just FYI. The really cool thing, too, is that the crucifix is intentionally placed on top of the state capital of every state. Such a cool feature to the design. You can get 50 states plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico on all sorts of products. They have it on, on long sleeve pocket tees, baseball tees, drop hoodies, quarter zips. I'm wearing the quarter zip right now. In fact, you can get it on a coffee mug. You can get it in a sticker. It's really cool. You can find all of it over at statesoffaith.com and be sure to look down in the show notes and you will find an ad code just for you to be able to get a discount. So we're grateful for States of Faith that they are sponsoring today's episode. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Father Josh Johnson. I, I love that line, that logic, because logic would say that strength or being the leader or, you know, being that protector would require the phrase Sister Miriam uses in the book is this machoism, right? Like this, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to seek to, uh, the image that is coming to my mind is, is kind of, you know, just like you, you try to, you try to overpower and overshadow and you, you bow up and mm. there's nothing wrong with that in a moment of needing to defend or in a moment of, of needing to protect. But if that's the posture that we're constantly walking around mm. with, or like we're constantly fathering or mothering with, then, mm. then that's, it's, it's going to oppress, it's going to push down. And so like the opposite of, of machoism would be a tenderness, which I think is, is what you're getting to. Like the, yeah. the logic of Christ would indicate that we tenderly love and that fatherhood must first come from a place of being loved yes. in order and to Jesus be able was, to give love. Right. Remember in the, in the baptism of Jesus, like he was loved by his father mm -hmm. and he went to the, the, to the Jordan river to be baptized by his cousin, John. And the father said, you're my beloved son. I delight in you. And notice, Katie, at that moment in the life of Christ, he had not done any ministry. Mm -hmm. He had not performed any miracles. Right. He had not done any good works. And the father looked at Jesus Christ and said, you're my beloved son. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pleased with you. I, I delight in you. And we are the body of Jesus Christ, you and I. And so that which the father told Jesus, he tells us. And it's so beautiful because it was the father's delight. After he, after he received that, that affirmation and encouragement from his dad in prayer uh, at the baptism, that's when he began his, his ministry and his, mm -hmm. all, of, all the stuff that he did, all the words that he spoke. He says, I speak nothing that I've not heard from my father. Everything he said, everything he did flowed from his relationship with his father as the beloved son, as the one who was delighted in. It was the father's delight that dictated every single decision that Jesus Christ made. Mm -hmm. It was not the opinions of others. It was not the thoughts of others. It was not the feelings of others or the desires of others. It was the father's love that he received from the father that dictated every decision. So he didn't let the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees tell him what to do, mm -hmm. how to be a man. He didn't let Peter tell him. He didn't let Martha tell him. He didn't let the devil tell him in the desert when he was tempted. It was only the father. So the invitation, I think, for us is for us to also enter into that disposition of receptivity, 
of hearing God the Father look at us like in our mess, right? Whenever, like as we are, like look mm -hmm. at me right now, and not as I could be, will be, or should be, but like as I am, Father, I need you to look at me and I need you to speak to me. Mm -hmm. And when we receive that from the Father, everything is different, game over, it, it has changed. But whenever I am not in that posture of receptivity of the Father's love and delight and tenderness for me, mm -hmm. I'm not in a place where I can operate out of that for mm -hmm. the people that, who I'm, I'm, I'm going to encounter throughout my day. Mm -hmm. Why is that so hard for people to do then? Like, it's very logical hearing it this yeah. way. This is how we need to operate. This is what Jesus did. So you need yeah. to do this too. And yet I feel like culture resists that. People sometimes within the church resist that. Within our own families, we mm -hmm. resist that within our own personal life of prayer. I love hearing you say, I'm a person of prayer because it, it convicts me to realize I need to pray more. Like every time we talk, I walk away from the conversation thinking I have got to be praying more than I am. Why do <laughs> people too. fight against that receptivity, fight against beholding the Lord's gaze for them? Why, why mm -hmm. do we resist it so much? I think two things. One, remember the catechism says prayer is a battle. Mm -hmm. So even if we know this, we hear this, it makes sense it's still a spiritual battle. It's mm -hmm. going to be a battle for us, right? Even when I know it. But number two, I think it's because we operate off of this fear that it's a, a lie from the enemy that the Father does not delight in me because mm -hmm. we don't always delight in ourselves. And we've been wounded by men and women in our lives, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, friends, coworkers, priests, sisters. We've been wounded by people in our lives. And sometimes because of that, we, put, we project those wounds onto God mm -hmm. or onto Mary. And we, we think we believe this lie that like, there's no way that God wants to say, like, I'm, 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 I mean, this is biblical. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were broken, right? They messed up and they ran away from God in shame. And God came after them. He pursued them. And when they came in contact with God, they covered themselves up because they didn't want to be vulnerable anymore. They didn't believe that God loved them. That's what Peter did in mm -hmm. the New Testament. Jesus, he denies Jesus Christ three times. He abandons Jesus Christ. He curses in front of Jesus Christ in the garden. He cuts my ear off. And then Jesus Christ dies without Peter being there. After he prayed, John 17, like, Father, I desire that they be with me where I'm going. He dies. He resurrects from the dead. He goes to Peter. Again, he pursues Peter where Peter's at. Peter wasn't with, so he goes to Peter, says, Peter and everybody else, peace be with you. But Peter's like most of us. Like we hear God say that and we're like, well, he can't be talking to me. Mm -hmm. Like I, I hear you say God loves all of us, but God really can't love me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my thoughts. You don't know my fantasies. You don't know my desires. You don't know my sins. You don't know my, my stuff. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And they all hear it. And then Peter is probably thinking, you know what? I walked on water. I was taken on top of Mount Tabar. I heard God the Father's voice. I had an apparition of Moses and Elijah. I received the keys of the kingdom. He must be extending that peace to them, but I don't deserve that peace. Mm -hmm. And so he says, I'm going fishing. As in like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I can't do, I'm too, I'm too broken. I'm too weak to be a disciple. And he leaves and then others follow and they go fishing. Remember, fishing was on a hobby. Fishing was a way of life. He was mm -hmm. saying, I can't do ministry anymore. I'm just not cut out for this. And what does Jesus do? Jesus pursues them again. Mm -hmm. He goes after them again. And it says whenever Jesus pursued them, that Peter was stripped while he was fishing. Then he put his clothes on when he came in the presence of Christ. Like Adam and Eve, he covered himself up. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is a gentleman. Jesus did not expose Peter to shame. He first had breakfast with Peter and everybody else. And then he invited Peter to be set apart to go for a walk with him. And while they went on this walk, he gently invited Peter, hey, like, do you love me? Right? You love me more than these three mm -hmm. times to make up for the three times that Peter made a mistake, but he didn't do it in front of everybody, right? He, he put him to the side, like, like a gentleman. He reverenced Peter's humanity. Uh, he didn't shame Peter. He didn't expose him. That, that's, 
That's what the Lord wants to do for us as well. And so we've all messed up. We're all going to mess up. The just man, the Bible says, sins seven times a day. So we're all going to keep falling. But as we fall, the Lord's invitation is, is will you let me come and encounter you there mm. and we'll walk with you there? Because if we do let him in, then we're going to see that he's the same today as he was yesterday. He is the same image of the prodigal son's father who just delights in us, who wants to celebrate us, who wants us to just come back home and keep back up and try again. Mm. Peter, even after he was restored to Christ and reconciled with the Lord and, and began to follow him again, even as Pope, he kept, he kept messing up in Galatians, he messed up again. So it's not like he was perfect. He was, mm-hmm. uh, he was messy until the day he died, but the father never gave up on him and the father won't give up on us. So I think it's the more we spend time in like, adoration of Jesus in prayer, the more we'll see the in particular scripture, the more we'll get to see God as he really is. And he's not a God who condemns us or who shames us or who discourages us or who accuses us. He's a God who definitely convicts us and challenges us, but he encourages us and he inspires us and he motivates us mm-hmm. to stay in relationship with him, to continue to receive his love so that we can, you know, over time, share that love with, with our family and our, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies. So I think there's a, definitely a fear there and there's just the reality of spiritual warfare. And the fear is based on a lie, mm-hmm. but it also spiritual warfare is real too, that no matter our best intentions, the devil is going to do everything to stop us from committing to this, this, this simple time with mm-hmm. him. I had a priest tell me one time that the reason Joseph is with the Holy family, because like Mary, I guess she could have been fine, you know, like, yes, you know, societally not great, but like she's perfect. So God could have made a way for her to be like the absolute best single mother. But Joseph is present and able to provide that loving gaze to provide that I'm going to pour into these two people in this very intentional way. You said that the heart, I wrote this as you were talking, that the heart of fatherhood is is being pursued by Jesus. And I wonder if Jesus learned how to be this pursuer, obviously because of the the love of the God, the father, mm-hmm. but also like, do you think he experienced that in his home? Like he, he oh saw God. the pursuit of Joseph loving Mary. He saw Joseph tenderly watching and teaching and guiding him in the ways of even just like basic carpentry, right? Like he would have experienced that from God, the father, but he would have experienced that in his house. He would have experienced it in his home. If you, in the Bible, it says that Jesus, he was unwilling to expose the woman called adultery to shame. Right. Who did he learn that from? Exactly. Yeah. Joseph was unwilling to expose Mary to shame. Mm -hmm. And so I I definitely looked at Joseph and Joseph Mm -hmm. was an image of God, the father. And again, Joseph wasn't perfect, but if Joseph could be that for Jesus, then we could be that for others as well. We can, Mm -hmm. we can witness that kind of a love. Yeah. I often imagine that like when I read John 17, the prayer of Jesus right before his passion, that that perhaps that was the prayer of Joseph before Joseph passed on into eternity Mm -hmm. where where Jesus says, father, I, I, I guarded them and I protected them in your name and I gave them your word and they've kept your word and they believed in your word. And I don't ask you to take them out of the world, world, Father, but that you just that you protect them from the enemy. I could hear Joseph saying that mm-hmm. as he's dying with Mary and Jesus by his side. And so I do believe that, yeah, Jesus looked at Joseph because Joseph, again, the Bible says he was a just man. He was a righteous man. And so biblically, a just man and a righteous man is a man who is rooted in the, in the, in the scriptures. He's rooted in prayer, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament word of God. And so I, I, I do believe that Jesus, he saw the witness of his dad, of mm-hmm. Joseph, and in his humanity, he was inspired by that. And he, it was, it was a gift for him to, to imitate mm-hmm. and to share his paternity with others as well. I mean, Joseph pursued him when he was in the temple as a kid, it was Joseph who went searching for him. Mm-hmm. And so again, Jesus went searching for Peter and Jesus comes searching for us. So there's, there's so many parallels with the paternity, the fatherhood of Joseph 
and the fatherhood of Jesus that, that we're then invited to also experience, mm-hmm. uh, which again, the logic of Christ is different, different from the logic of man. Mm-hmm. And pursuing holiness is trying to put ourselves in line with that logic, is, is trying to embrace that over what the world will often tell us or, or what we perceive by witnessing and watching other people. This is going to sound like a strange jumping off point, but mm-hmm. just this, we're recording this in October for something that's going to air in December, but mm-hmm. we were just at a theme park this past weekend. First theme park experience that I've ever had with my kids uh, in a post-pandemic world. Yeah, pizza waiting for you. We when you did. Got we we hacked Parenthood. We ordered I, I, the pizza I, yeah, as Twitter's we were driving right. through Jennings, Louisiana. We were like, okay, if we order it now, it'll. and the guy dropped I'm it off on our Jenny. doorstep as we pulled into our driveway. It was the best Those thing. Jennings have like two, like, like, like maybe one stop, like one red light and everything's just stop signs. And Jennings is that Vinton. Which one is that? Vinton is that. Jennings is okay. Jennings a nice little metropolis. It's okay. bustling. They yeah, got you two have, Catholic like, a churches. Hospital now and Jennings now maybe. Yeah, like, they've right, got a hospital. Okay. They've got a retirement home. They have a Popeye's. Okay. That's when you're really on the map. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Let's continue. Yeah. But we, we're at this theme park and it's so fascinating to watch other families. You know, just like you end up people watching or, you, you know, you, you notice how other people are parenting their kids or disciplining their kids or giving into their kids. And it was just this kind of just this, this snapshot of the ways of the world are indulgent and the ways of the world are often reactionary. And the ways of the world will often Mm -hmm. tell you that like your kid is this, is this, this problem. And so like, you just need to keep them contained for 48 hours. so Everybody can have fun. Or you just need to like give them the thing that they need right away to get them to stop crying. And, and instead, like the church, and I would say the fatherhood of the Lord and what we see in Jesus and how he loves people in the gospels, which he learned from Joseph, would show us this this very patient that sometimes we're not, or this mm-hmm. this very, I'm, I'm going to follow the moment as opposed to try to impose my own will or my own control. This is something Tommy and I talk about a lot. Like, how do we guide our kids without controlling our kids? Yeah. How do we follow our kids while also in, instilling within them these necessary values mm-hmm. that are primary to our way of life and like what we know and what we believe to be true? And I, I can't help but think as I was reading Sister Miriam's book and praying through this walk with the Holy family, like the only way to actually do any of that well is to root ourselves in the example of Joseph and Mary. And as hard as that might be, like they were clearly about as perfect as you can get, but also then fondly remembering that, but Joseph wasn't like Joseph was Mm -hmm. just a full dude. Like he was just a regular Mm -hmm. guy who kind of got, and almost seems like plucked out of nowhere for this incredible task. We've asked this question to everybody as we've been building into this series. And it was, as we reflect upon the Holy family, what about the Holy family is kind of a a silly question, I guess, or it's, it's a, it's an abstract question, not silly. What about the Holy family moves you the most? Like when you contemplate the image of the Holy family, or you contemplate the role of the Holy family in your priesthood or in your childhood or in your faith life, what about the Holy family moves you the most? Yeah, that's a great question. I would suggest, I mean, right now I'm just drawn to the image of of the humanity of Joseph and yeah, just like as there's always a tendency, I think as people to get caught up in comparison Mm. of other people. And I could just see Joseph again, in my imagination, I could just see him comparing his life to the lives of so many other, other families Mm. and the ways in which he was not able to provide for Mary. He couldn't even find her a place to give birth to Jesus. Mm. It must've been so uncomfortable for them to journey whenever they were, afraid of Jesus being murdered when all the babies were being murdered. I, I could just, 
I'm really drawn to the humanity of Joseph and potentially the the struggle he may have had with comparing his his life to other people, seeing what other people are able to offer in their sacrifice. But also in that, how I'm certain that if that was his experience, that because of his proximity to Mary, she would have always been able to redirect his attention to Jesus. Mm. Look at Jesus. So like, look what you have. Look who you have. You have Jesus. You might not have money, Joseph. You might not have connections. You might not have family who's who's available to walk with us, but you have Jesus. I'm drawn to, when I think about them, like why didn't they have family who provided them a place for Jesus to be born? Mm. Like they like literally had family in that area. So where was their family at? Maybe their family didn't like Mary. Maybe maybe his family was like, Joseph, Mary, Mary creeped on you. And he knew she didn't. Like he knew that this was of the Lord, but maybe they didn't believe it. They were like, Joseph, you're, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. And they didn't, just like Jesus was misunderstood by his family. Maybe Joseph was misunderstood by his family. And I, I, am, I, I think about that kind of stuff often. Mm-hmm. Like where was his family at whenever he was about to have his, first, his child with Mary? Like this is, I, I think maybe it was, it was, just as messy as our families where mm-hmm. they were like, you know what, Joseph, we don't rock with her. And, and he, tri- but even still being misunderstood by his family, potentially he chose Mary. Mm-hmm. So he chose Mary and he chose Jesus. And so I'm, I'm drawn to that, yeah, that the human humanity of, of, of him, of maybe his family at that time, of his struggles, but also the gift of like, because of his proximity to Mary, I'm certain that she always redirected him to the one who he had, which is, you know what? Jesus Christ is still sufficient. Mm. We are poor. We are broke. We are rejected. We are abandoned. We are exiles. We are, we, we have nothing, but at the same time, we have everything because we have God. Mm-hmm. So there are moments in my priesthood where I, I might be tempted to compare my priesthood to other people. and like, man, like why, why is it so, so difficult to uh, build God's kingdom? Why is it so difficult to, to help people to have conversions and to help people to fall in love with the Lord and to help people to, to care about the poor. Like, why is it so difficult for people to want to care about justice? You know, and I, I might be tempted to look at other people and say, well, they seem to be doing it. The Lord's like, Josh, you have me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. All those things. What's important is that you literally have me with you at all times. By virtue mm-hmm. of your baptism, I dwell within you and the father does too, but also you literally have me down the hall in the blessed sacrament chapel from your bedroom. Like he leaves my roommate. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I have everything. And so it doesn't, all that other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm drawn to that. You know, even when I'm misunderstood by Mm -hmm. brother priests or misunderstood by lay disciples, you know, Mm -hmm. I have Jesus, Mm -hmm. I have Jesus. And if I'm rejected or abandoned or betrayed, I have Jesus, Mm -hmm. I have Jesus. And he's, he's everything, you know? And so I'm drawn to Joseph in the Holy Family and his particular relationship with Mary and how she helped him with Jesus, I mm-hmm. guess, to, to make it, to make a long story long. Yeah, to tidy it. That's a great, that's a great word for sure. Father, where can folks follow you, listen to you, donate to your school, send their kids that's, to your school? Where can folks amen. find all that? Yeah. You know what? Let's do that. Uh, so they can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at FR Josh Johnson, but they can also check out my podcast as Father Josh on all like podcast formats, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, et cetera. But what I'm most concerned about like right now, like my, my passion, my school, Sacred Heart of Jesus, was the first ministry of my church, Sacred Heart Church, which started in 1928. The church, the school, 1929, was our first ministry. And like that's what I care about building up right now. Like We have so many good things going right now. We're, we're trying to build two adoration chapels, one for the church, one for the school. We have vagabond missionaries coming in to serve in the inner city community that surrounds my church. We have a lot of projects that we're trying to do because 
Uh, we have the Mercedarian sisters in our school now. So that's drawing up a lot of buzz and a lot of people who want to be formed by nuns. And so, but we need to like continue to renovate our campus. And so if people, if people have, have the, the means, we could certainly use people's money to help us to continue to, to build up this mission of discipleship here at Sacred Heart of Jesus School in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. We are 2250 Main Street, <laughs> Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70802. And we will take all those donations so that we can, again, I have no shame. I feel like a father, like begging for money, mm-hmm. but I'm begging because I, we have so much stuff going on mm-hmm. and we have so much of a need that I just have to like, I got to work for my bride and I work for my kids. Yeah. So that way we can keep preparing the, uh, the, the dad way for hustle. God's work. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's the, I feel like Mother Teresa right now. I'm like, just, just hands wide open. Yeah. Receive. But it's, but it's, but it's all, but it's all for God's kingdom because there's so much good stuff happening. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. The kids here love it. Their, their, their parents are having conversions. I mean, there's just so many beautiful things happening that we just have to move very quickly. There is mm-hmm. almost like in the Bible when it says, Joseph immediately got up. He mm-hmm. immediately did this. And like, that's the word I perceive in this season of my priesthood at Sacred Heart is there's an immediacy of like, do it now, do mm-hmm. it now. Like, like build the Adder Shepherd now, get that done now. Get the, I'm like, okay, God, all right. Now, at, at your word, now drop we off are. the check. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. So, so hook us up. People. Thank you, thank you for ta- we're we're gonna put the link down in the show notes. So Thanks, folks thank you. Give. Thank you for taking the time, Father. Awesome, thank you, Katie. I'm always so struck by um, the paternity and the kindness of Father Josh. You know, like I said, we've known each other for a number of years, and and again, there's this. Um, there's this presence about him. You know, the, the first time I got to spend any significant time with him in quite some time, we recorded OSV talks together up in Iowa right after kind of things began open. It was the first time I flew since COVID in, in, in 2021. And we got to spend like two and a half, three days together. And on the um, the second day that we were all there and we're going through rehearsals and we're talking through these talks that we're going to give, you know, he mentioned that he needed to do daily mass and, and did anybody want to come to mass the next morning? He was going to do an early morning mass uh, in one of the the hotel, like, you know, meeting rooms or something. And it was such a, a such a simple invite, right? Hey, I'm going to say mass. I have to say it anyway. I might as well do it for the community of people who've gathered together over the past few days. It was such a, a fatherly gift that he was able to give us, that we were able to go to mass together as a community who were, who were there to give these talks. And so one of the things that I've just always really admired about him is this awareness he has of the role he plays as a father in the church and what that can teach us about God's fatherhood, what that shows us about Joseph's fatherhood, how that maybe helps us heal in our own lives. If, if your dad wasn't all that great, or if there's some sort of wound that's in that I wasn't protected, I wasn't shepherded, I wasn't guided, or the church hasn't shepherded and guided me in the way that I, I wanted her to, or a priest hasn't shepherded and guided me in, in the way that he should be. You know, a lot of us carry wounds, a lot of us carry hurt because of bad fatherhood, whether our own dad, whether a father figure, whether the church as a whole. And, and that's not something that we should shy away from. Nor should we shy away from this very, very obvious, I, I think it's so obvious in society these days, this very obvious, we long for that leadership, we long for that shepherding, we long for that protection. And we can find that, especially in the image of St. Joseph, especially in the figure of St. Joseph, especially in the role of protection that he provided. You know, one of the things Sister Miriam says so beautifully in, in this week's opening reflection is that the father is an irreplaceable figure in a child's life with gifts that only a father can give. 
And if we look at the giftedness of, of St. Joseph, right, the giftedness of St. Joseph shines forth in so many different ways. But, you know, my mom has collected nativity sets since I was a kid, and I have quite a few nativity sets in my own house these days. And, and I have this one that she gave me last year from her collection. It's a, it's a Jim Shore nativity set. So it's very beautiful and very artsy, and it fits perfectly on my mantle, very colorful. And the St. Joseph figure, you know, in, in typical fashion, I'll have to post a picture up on my social media so you know what I'm talking about, but but his arm is stretched out. He's holding the staff in one hand and his arm is stretched out on the other. And it's it's an arm stretched out and kind of three, three things could be happening with that stretched out arm. It, it could be a stretched out arm pulling somebody into a hug. It could be a stretched out arm pointing at Jesus as he's there in his in his crib. Or, or it could be a, a stretched out arm to protect against, to guard against something that's coming towards. And so those three movements of protector, the protector who pulls one into an embrace, the protector who points to the image of Jesus Christ, the protector who guards against something coming at with that outstretched arm, that essentially is the irreplaceable gift that Joseph brings into this holy family. Hopefully the irreplaceable gift that you're able to experience as you contemplate this fatherhood of Joseph and and hopefully fatherhood in general. As we are on this Advent journey, we want to remind you that every Friday over on Instagram Live, Sister Miriam is hosting a conversation and prayer and answering your questions. Check it out over on Ave Maria Press's Instagram page. You'll really love it, I think. And and they're saved. You can always watch it after the fact. Make sure you're subscribed to our Ave Explores email so you get this podcast right into your inbox every single week. We've got some amazing conversations coming up in the next couple of weeks with Michelle Benzinger, who podcasts with Sister Miriam James Heidland. So she'll be talking about the child Jesus and the, the joys and wonders of childhood, especially during this season, and, and what we can do to awaken our spiritual inner child. And then we have a wonderful chat with the Bullmans, Rachel and her husband, Jason, about the family as a place and source of holiness, especially within the Advent season. So don't miss any of it. Subscribe to the emails so you get everything into your inbox. Share the links to this podcast with folks. We'd love it if more folks were able to join us on this Advent journey. We're so grateful that you joined us this week. We'll see you next week for more of Behold, A Journey Through Advent. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.